0: Welcome to the Lend Academy Podcast, episode number two hundred forty four. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of the Lended FinTech Conference. Today's episode is sponsored by Lended Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. It's happening on our new dates of September 30 and October 1 at the Javits Center in New York. This year, with everything that's been going on, there will be so much to talk about. It will likely be our most important show ever. So come and join us in New York to meet the people who matter, to learn from the experts, and get business done. LendIt FinTech, lending and banking connected. Sign up today at lendit.com/usa. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Scott Stewart. He is the CEO of the Innovative Lending Platform Association, also known as the ILPA. Now, they're, they're a, a trade organization that is uh, focused on small business lending. They have some of the leading online small business lenders, uh, some of the largest players in the country as members. I wanted to get Scott on the show because obviously small business lending is front and center of the entire economy right now. We need to be getting the money out to the uh, small businesses for the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program. We talk about that in some depth. Uh, Scott talks about what his members are doing there. But we don't just talk about the PPP. We also talk about other initiatives they've been working on, such as the Smartbox Initiative. We talk about how they're interacting with some of the other associations. What's Scott's view of, of how the PPP has been handled and what more the government can be doing? and much more. It was a fascinating interview. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Scott.
1: Thank you very much, Peter. Great to be here.
0: Okay, my pleasure. So you know, I want to get these things started I, you know, to give the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. You've, uh, you know, you've had uh, an interesting career, it looks like, in and around Washington. Why don't you, why don't you tell us uh, the highlights of your career to date?
1: Sure. I actually consider myself a, a recovering politician uh, and somebody who worked for a long time in both politics and then in uh, in the energy sector and oil and gas. and And I think that you know I took a, a detour along the way after the financial crisis and and actually joined the family business, which was an insurance business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out I was really terrible at slinging property and casualty insurance policies. I was <laughs> really really bad at that. Uh, so my friend said to me. Uh, come back to Washington. I had a good friend, Eric Hoplin, at the Financial Services Roundtable, and he said, "It's time for you to come back. I have a job for you. It's not the right job, but it's it's a place for you to get back here and start up again." And so I became director of membership at the Financial Services Roundtable, which was a trade association that represented all of the CEOs of the largest financial services firms in the country, you know, meaning the banks and the insurance companies and the asset managers, the card companies. And I did all sorts of things for them, including managing the completion of their massive new office build out. I did the, uh, all the technology build for that uh, and help with the design of those things. I upgraded all of the staff from gigantic desktop computers to Microsoft Surface Pro tablets. So we could get everybody to be more secure, more efficient and more mobile. And along the way, I met some really interesting leaders. I met a guy by the name of Stephen Ibaraki, who's an international leader on artificial intelligence and, mm-hmm. and emerging technologies. And he introduced me to Klaus Schwab's fourth industrial revolution, uh, which completely opened up my, my whole view of, of the world. And, uh, and Alison Hawkins and I, she was uh, the director of communications at the financial services round She's now with Wells Fargo. We cooked up a, a new FinTech program for the roundtable to explore a long-term future at the confluence of finance, innovation, and technology. Mm-hmm. And I think that we were looking at 10 plus years into the future, what is our world going to look like in terms of artificial intelligence, blockchain technologies, big data, and and so on. And we began to think about that in a way that culminated into, this, into the FinTech Ideas Festival, which we hosted in San Francisco in 2017, and it was a small, small event, 110 CEOs out of 200 participants. It included Satya Nadella from Microsoft, Jenny Rometty from IBM, Brian Moynihan from Bank of America, Ajay Banger from MasterCard, Dan Shulman from PayPal, Michael Tipsword from State Farm, along with a whole bunch of what are now my, my members, which is you know, Carl Fairbank from Breakout, Rob Frohlein from Cabbage, Jim Salters from the from the business backer. And we had a global array of experts on finance and technology, and we had them sit in in sort of curated small group conversations to talk through what our long-term future is going to look like when we start taking this magic elixir of artificial intelligence and blockchain and big data and the Internet of Things and and putting it all together in terms of financial services. And I think I uh, I got noticed along the way. And um, and Rob Frowein from Cabbage actually said it was the greatest event of its kind that he had ever attended. Now, I personally think that LendIt, on a larger side <laughs> of things, is is the greatest event of its kind. But but um, for the small scale and CEO exclusive focus, uh, it was an amazing experience, and I was really lucky to be a part of it.
0: Oh, <laughs> thank. I'll and th- I got anyway.
1: noticed uh, at at LPA.
0: Right, right. Okay. Well, th- well, thank you for for the plug there. So, what was the Yeah, why did you decide to to take the job there? What was the you know the ILPA sort of was a pretty fledgling organization when you joined? So what was the was the impetus uh, to take the role on as CEO? I you
1: know I was really ready for a new challenge. It was I had built something pretty important that I thought the financial services roundtable and Cabbage on Deck. I knew a bunch of the leaders there pretty well. And, and they approached me and said, look, we're ready to formalize this organization, the Innovative Lending Platform Association, into a real trade association. We need someone to build it and to harness the power of the members together. And I think that I've been pretty successful in that. And uh, we, I started with seven members. We now have 12. And we represent, I think, some of the bigger brands in the online small business lending space.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then, what what is the what's the mission of the association exactly?
1: You know, we are our members are completely united to a commitment to the health and success of America's small businesses, and we are dedicated to advancing the best practices and standards that support responsible innovation and access to capital for small businesses. So, what does that mean in in reality? It, it means that we are committed to disclosing the terms of all of our lending agreements to the the small business borrowers so they fully understand what they're taking out in terms of their access to to capital and credit, and we're interested in serving them. If you take a look at what happened after the financial crisis, banks and financial institutions of all kinds really fled this marketplace for small business lending, and we've been there. We've Mm -hmm. been there to, uh, to help them from the very beginning.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then so maybe I know one of the initiatives that, that, that the uh, ILPA put out fairly early on. Um, I think it was pro- it was probably after you got there. I'm guessing uh, was the SmartBox initiative, which you know you, d- you just sort of referenced it there, like and imp- put the importance of transparency and and some of the some of those concepts have been taken up by the states. So maybe just give a little background about that spe- that specific initiative and uh, and how how it was successful.
1: Sure, sure. It actually started before I came on board. It started in in 2016. A couple of the original members of ILPA got together. I think it was Cabbage and On Deck and a couple of others uh, came together and decided that it was the right time to have some self-regulation in the industry. And they came up with this, this concept called the smart box, which is straightforward metrics around rate and total cost. And It's a a single-page form that comes at at the front of all of the loan documents for for our members that shows total cost of capital, APR, monthly cost, and cents on a dollar, along with any potential prepayment penalties. It has been remarkably successful, and a lot of folks that have, have been looking at it, I think, are... They're concerned about certain aspects of it, but I think it's become a real selling point for our members to say, "Look, we're we're showing you absolutely every detail uh, in a, a single, easy to get at TILA-like format, mm-hmm. uh, and you can see what's happened recently in the states. You've got uh, California passed twelve thirty-five a couple of years ago, and uh, and then the uh, the California DBO came out. And um, you know, look, if, if imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, we ought to be very flattered because the uh, the form that they came up with to to capture all of their disclosures is a box looks pretty much exactly <laughs> like the smart box. Right. Um, so we ought to be pretty flattered about that. We've been carrying that message to New York as well. We have model disclosure legislation that's going to be introduced in the in both the Assembly and the Senate there that will really codify. The these disclosures that really give a small business borrower confidence in understanding what they're what they're taking out in terms of their their access to capital and credit. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Right, that makes sense. So, given your situation, uh, you know, given given the position of the ILPA, really tr- mission to help small business, and obviously, you know, today. Probably as never before, at least in our lifetimes, have small businesses been suffering like, like they are right now. And, you know, I should preface this by saying we're recording this on April 14th. It's, uh, it's going to be, uh, published on April 24th and 10 days right now feels like an eternity. So we, 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 we need to keep, listeners need to keep that in mind when they're, when they're listening to this, that this is April 14th. But I wanted to, Maybe get your perspective on the PPP. Some of your members have been very active. I know, you know, On Deck just came out yesterday there. They're, they're um, starting to offer PPP loans, cabbage, Lendio. Uh, Brock Blake has been one of the real champions from the get-go of, of this whole, uh, of the whole program and has, has been very active. But maybe if you could just describe how ILPA and your members are approaching the PPP.
1: Sure, sure. We and and I appreciate you mem- uh, uh, mentioning a couple of our members there. Brock Blake with Lendio, uh, a fantastic CEO of an amazing company, and uh, and certainly Cabbage on Deck, Fundbox, Bluevine, BFS, are are critical brands that can be moving capital very very quickly. Along with you know the Innova Small Business brands and the Business Backer and and headway Capital, Breakout Mulligan Funding and uh, Sixth Avenue. They, they can all be moving capital very, very, very quickly, and it's. We were involved in the development of of the CARES Act. We were paying attention to it and working on it. We've been working with the Treasury Department and with the SBA on on the program. From my perspective, I can't say the design is exactly what we what we would have wanted. Uh, however, I mean, think about the challenge that the Congress dumped at the doorstep of the SBA. Uh, last year, SBA did a you know a quiet 20 billion dollars in loans over the course of a year. Then Congress said, "Well, deliver 349 billion dollars in loans in uh, in just a couple of months," and and here there are no additional resources and do your best. Um, that's a really, really, really tall order, and it's it's difficult to imagine what they could have done, you know, perhaps differently. I think all of our members are very likely if they haven't already they are very likely to be applying to become direct lenders through the PPP program mm-hmm. and i think that it's important for for SBA to entertain those applications very very quickly and to authorize those uh, those small business lenders to to move into the the system it's a difficult process though if you look at the way that they have initially designed it it, it, the, you go through the 7A standard process, which includes a, uh, a trip through ETRAN. And I don't know if you know how that process works, but mm-hmm. you have an application that comes from a borrower into your system. You create an alternative application called a lender application that you send to the SBA through this ETRAN system. You get into the queue. So at the end of that queue, at the end of that glorious rainbow, there is a human, uh, which is, you know, unfortunately, these people have to be working like mad trying to turn around these government guarantee numbers and then send them back to the lender and then the lender disperses the funds to the borrower that's a manual and very slow process that is you know very very difficult to manage and I think that there, there are a series of things that I think they could probably have done differently. Um, if you want me to, to go into that I certainly can.
0: Yeah, let's, let's, let's just put that on just hold that for a second. Sure. Um, I think, you know, you mentioned that, that most of your members are going to be, uh, applying. And so the, the application process itself, I, I guess let's just start there and, and because you know, like we, they, they, this only came out. I think I think it was Thursday, or no, it was Wednesday night, right. I believe, of last week. So we've had it's been out like five and a half days. This uh, the actual way to apply, and I know that you know there's been press right. releases from some of your members that they're applying. Others have already set up bank partnerships to actually originate loans right now. Hopefully, by the time listeners are, li- are listening to this in ten days' time, there will be dozens of fintech lenders that will have uh, been approved. But, uh, you know, that, that remains to be seen. But I guess, what, what's your view on the application process itself? What, you know, how should that have been handled um, differently?
1: You know, we we don't know how they are, how they're looking at each application. And I think that part of the, the concern, I, I actually was detailed to FEMA during the Katrina and Rita disasters years ago, uh, the, the hurricanes. and this is a, i think an interesting analogy but we i was detailed to the team that was trying to get debit cards into the hands of those victims that were affected in the gulf coast mm-hmm. and the lots of people on the team were consumed with the concern that there was going to be waste fraud and abuse in the system i think the same thing is really going on here with uh, you know with potential for additional lenders such as online and alternative lenders to enter the ppp system there's a concern that there is going to be this kind of bad actor that, that is able to get through. I, I think that's, you know, that that's possible, but at this point, who, who cares? Right. right. I mean, we are, right. we're looking at, I mean, it, like the house is on fire. The world is on fire. We have got to get these dollars into the hands of the small businesses. Here's what I would, re- I would recommend. And this is just not my members. This is Scott off the, the top of my head. let just approve everybody. To become an additional lender, as you know, as they come in the door with a very short and very sweet contract that says, if you lied to us in your application or if you abuse this system, then your entire C suite goes to prison. Right? <laughs> that should be pretty quickly. Right. That should pretty quickly weed out the really bad actors, right? So you're going to have a lot less waste fraud and abuse I and mean, then you can get these these actual good actors like our members from the Innovative Lending Platform Association into the mix to be able to lend at speed to really small businesses that the banks are not equipped to lend to because of what happened at the after the financial crisis they they really left this entire marketplace behind either due to regulation or to their their risk committees they're not in a place where they're lending you know, ten thousand dollars to local businesses any longer. Uh, uh, they're they're just it's not their their bailiwick, and so we're there, and uh, and and we're absolutely ready to to get going. Uh, they just have to let us in the door.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that's what I mean. It's a shame, really, that um, that this wasn't really done ahead of time. As soon as the Care Act, Care Act passed, I would have liked to have seen you know the SBA and Treasury get together and say, right. Who is best equipped to move this quickly? He says, "Well, you've got a whole bunch of uh, of really established online lenders that can that that do things in a in an automated way. Many of them do things in a hundred percent automated way. So let's just get them involved right off the bat. So when 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 it kicked off on Friday, April third, we could have had all of these." Online lenders be approved because I think there was there's been so much panic and yeah. uh, distress. I mean, right. if you just go on Twitter and look at the hashtag PPP loans, it's uh, <laughs> it, 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 particularly on like the on the April third, fourth, fifth, and sixth that that opening few days. I mean, the people were just, uh, beside themselves because, you know, Bank of America was saying, you know, you have to have a loan with them to, to be applied. I mean, right. you know, the other big banks just said, no, we, we're not ready. And so these, and, and, you see that, you know, there's already billions and billions being, being processed. You think, oh my God, we're going to miss out. So there's all this, these, these small business owners are freaking out. And I think the, the, right. the, 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 the online letters could have done a, could have really done a service for, for the whole country if they were up, up and running uh, by then. But.
1: Certainly could have, but you're you're right. You're absolutely right. They certainly could have, but let's give SBA you know two seconds of, of of coverage here. I mean, considering the the magnitude of the challenge, they knew what they did. What they knew, which is okay. Let's let's ramp up what we know how to do, uh, and we'll get to the fintechs eventually. It's unfortunate they didn't do it right up front, but you know they got like three people running around over there trying to figure out how to make this happen. It's uh, to, to move three hundred and forty nine billion dollars out the door really really quickly. It's, it's tough. And they, yes, they should have used us, but it's a, do I, do I really, you know, lay huge blame at their feet? I, Don't think
0: I can. Right. Yeah, I understand. I mean, they've got a tiny budget. They're one of the, they're one of the smallest budgets of any, of any of the government departments. So it's, they, they had a, they had a monumental task to do. And, and to be honest, they, they're not doing a terrible job. Money is flowing. I've been paying attention the last few days and, you know, there, there is, there is money flowing. And there's a website that, that I saw on Twitter yesterday about the status. You could put in the status of your PPP and, and there, you know, it seems like the, the average Time to get funds is, was six point eight days, I believe, from uh, from actual yeah. sending in the application. So money is flowing, which is good. And on that point, I'm just, I mean, if you talk to your members, because a lot of this, I mean, your members don't have access to unlimited capital, and they're not, they're not, a, they're not a Bank of America or a or a Chase. So is that is that is that something that you're hearing as a constraint there, where you're you know these you know these members can't like if if Cabbage and On Deck both wanted to put through twenty five billion dollars in in PPP loans they wouldn't be able to right I mean is that what are you hearing on on the constraint on that side
1: the, the liquidity problem is significant right and on on the six point eight days per you know to to get to funding you know that is light years slower. Than what uh, what our members could be doing, they could certainly be our our members could certainly be underwriting and moving loans within you know hours, mm-hmm. 24 hours. Uh, but there is that constraint that is very very serious, which is this liquidity question, because our members don't have unlimited access to billions and billions of dollars just to to lend to this program, and then hold these loans for the eight weeks that the SBA says we need to hang on to them for. The Treasury and the Federal Reserve have announced a a system, at least we have a term sheet of what it's going to look like as an offtake, as a secondary market that they're going to create, Mm -hmm. a special purpose vehicle, to take these off the hands of of the banks and of the fintechs. And and I think that's critically important. We've been hearing rumors that it is going to be a five-day offtake period, which may end up being too slow. Uh, you know, OK, we'll make our members will make whatever they can make in terms of loans within you know, a few hours and then wait for five days, offload them all and then do do it again. That seems to be too slow. You would think that there is going to have to probably be some sort of interim step where they can offload these into a facility either run by, that we've been hearing rumors that you know, Goldman and the Bank of America and a few others are getting together to try to create a, an immediate term secondary market where we can drop them into uh, that sort of a, a, a process. They can hold them for the five days and then move them into the, the treasury facility, the Fed facility. I, I think that one way or another, in real time, the federal government is going to have to take these loans off of our hands. Uh, there just is. There's no other choice. It's and it's not just us. You look at what uh, you know. What all of the banks have been saying. They don't have unlimited liquidity to just you know to be pouring out these loans on behalf of the the government. They want to do it. They want to help. They can help as much as possible, but. You they've, they've got to find a way to, to to put these onto the federal government's books sooner yeah.
0: rather than later. Yeah, it's I mean, it's great if that happened within 24 hours. And who knows by the time we publish it may have happened. But uh, another question I've got is, you know, there are other obviously organizations out there. There's the Marketplace Lending Association. There's a the Small Business Finance Association and others. How much are you interfacing with with the leaders leaderships of those organizations and sort of and providing a, a united front in in Washington right now.
1: You know, I know the majority of these fintech trade leaders pretty well and we really do our best to find areas of common ground that uh and, and because we have such disparate membership uh, and different focuses but we've we've found a great way to collaborate on things like the madden versus midland fix and the valve made problem you know the entire work group worked pretty well together on on legislation and then on the fix at the occ and the fdic from a regulatory perspective but if you look at the you know how how diverse the membership is you have Steve Dennis with the Small Business Finance Association, primarily focused on merchant cash advance providers. You've got Nat Hoops with the Marketplace Lenders Association, focused on consumer lenders. Brian Peters with Financial Innovation Now on the larger tech players. Scott Talbot uh, over at the Electronic Transactions Association with their diverse membership, including banks and card companies. Then you've got the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Tom Sullivan and Kate Prohaska, and now it's Julie Stitzel. And, and I communicate with these folks as often as I can, and we work together to try to drive a at least a, a united front on things like we've mentioned already, which are the liquidity challenges and the, the access to the PPP program. I think we're all on the same page there. They should let us in the door as soon as they possibly can to to be do, offering these PPP loans, and, and they should fix the liquidity question in the background using a, a special purpose vehicle through mm-hmm. the Federal Reserve.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then, how much of your time right now are you, is spent really on on the PPP type initiatives? Um, is this is this like one hundred percent of your focus? Fifty percent? What are you What are you focused on right now?
1: I would say working on on this specific program really consumes an awful lot of my time. But there are quite a few things that are coming soon. Uh, that that we ought to be thinking about the Main Street um, special purpose vehicle, which may be a way for my members uh, as small businesses potentially to get access to some some capital to to prop them up and keep them lending.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I think that's a that's certainly a process that I'll be focusing on and thinking about. The the phase four when Congress comes together and thinks about either phase three point five or phase four. What is that going to look like? We think that sometime in the next week or so, Congress is going to add a whole bunch more in, in terms of dollars into the the, the PPP program. They're talking about somewhere around $250 billion more to the program now. Unclear whether that's going to be enough by the time they get around to it. But I think that those are some of the areas. I, we're, for the moment, I, I think it's important for all of us to be focused on on this Catastrophe and preparing for you know what our world is going to look like afterwards.
0: Right, right, for sure. So then, and you just you just mentioned something there. I want to I want to just touch on, and that is you know the health of, of small business lenders in general. I mean, many many uh, of the fintech uh, companies have stopped lending. You know, we obviously you know, there's been some layoffs that we've we've read about how are you positioned as a you know, as an organization to help your members you know really through this because let's face it there's not many small business loans happening right now beyond the PPP so how how right. like how how is that going to affect your members uh you know the the health the financial health of your members
1: well i think look it's it, we are this is truly a black swan event, unlike anything that we've ever seen in our lifetimes. I think all of our members along with with smart companies everywhere were really prepared for a, a major national a terrorist attack, a natural disaster, a you know, a major swift downturn in the economy, but I don't think anyone prepared for a global shutdown of the entire global economy uh, in real time immediately and and revenues go to zero. I think that was a very, certainly for my members, you know, a, sh- a major shock to the system. I think they're, they're muddling through. It's, it's difficult. I think that my members are some of the larger players in the space. And so I think they have some of the resources to be able to withstand a, a shock like this. But I think that they need to be, they need to get access to, to capital. And maybe that'll be through the Main Street facility that'll be coming maybe in the next few weeks. Uh, they also I think a lifeline for them will be able to if they if they're able to lend through the PPP uh, right. and give them that uh, you know that that small sliver to uh, to keep on going and and I think that it's in the federal government's interest to want that to be the case because you, you want innovation to be progressing when this is you know when this is all said and done so you want the innovative companies to be uh, still there and still still working and still lending.
0: Right, right. And do you, have you heard how quickly, though, like the origination fee, you know, we've, you know, 5% for sub 350 and then 3% and then, then 1% uh, uh, up to 10 million. But uh, have you heard how quickly uh, this money, the origination fees, are going to flow into the lenders?
1: I have not. And I certainly wish I had a, a good answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, if, I had, if I had a good answer to that, that would be, uh, you know that would be stupendous, but I, I think they are. The government's going to have to figure a way to get those those fees to, you know, to my members and to the banks relatively quickly, and just in order to keep them alive and afloat.
0: Right, right, for sure.
1: So okay. they so they can keep living.
0: Okay, so then uh, we're almost out of time, but a couple more questions before you go. I I'd, I'd like you to sort of step back for a second and think about the impact uh, that this crisis is going to have. Um, particularly I'm interested in the impact on the small business lending landscape over the, the, the medium to long term. What do you think is going to change?
1: I think well you have to begin with small businesses around the country are completely devastated and it's going to take some time to unwind these extraordinary actions taken by, uh, by the federal government. You know, if you look at the the CARES Act, the PPP program, and the Treasury and the Federal Reserve special purpose vehicles, uh, we are really, hopefully, short-term uh, quasi-nationalizing America's small business economy, mm-hmm. and we, we hope that that is a, a short-term, a short-term effort, uh, which was critically required. I think on the small business lending side of things, from the fintech perspective, I think that in the long run, this is going to completely expose manual paper-based underwriting as completely antiquated. Mm-hmm. The fact that at the end of the you know the ETRAN rainbow it, at the, the SBA is a human is unfair to the small business borrower. Uh, these things should be done in an automated way and much more rapidly. You know, and and if you look at the, the systems that financial institutions are are using currently, I mean, if you have ever taken out a mortgage, I, I I actually applied for a mortgage with the bank I had been with for 20 years. And they asked me to print out my, uh, my last several months of bank statements and send it to them. I mean, this, this is a wow. completely banana. And yes. I think that those, you know, those, those kinds of things are going to go by the wayside and, they're, they're going, that's going to change pretty dramatically on the small business lending side as well. Now, that's, that's not to say that fintechs are going to be you know, replacing or supplanting the banks. Banks are critical to this ecosystem, uh, and I think that you're going to need, you're always going to need a safe place to put your money. And over the next several years, you're going to see this, I think, a, a great resurgence and an acceleration of innovation. Between banks and fintechs, and there's going to be a, co- a cooperation and a collaboration that we really never dreamed of before. Uh, and the real business, the real winner is going to be the small business borrower. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and innovation is absolutely going to be accelerating.
0: Uh, I mean, I really hope that's the case. I I, I certainly think, uh, you know, the, I I completely agree that this, this needs to happen. And I hope this is a this this crisis provides an impetus for that. So then, so the last question, I'm just curious if there is anything else that you think the government should be doing to help small business beyond beyond what they're doing uh, right now with with the PPP.
1: Sure, I think that they have got to, in a word, pull down the barriers to capital access and innovation. Take down barriers that are that are up currently and and let innovation flourish. You know, for example, we saw the real time effects of the Madden decision: increased bankruptcies and decreased access to capital in the affected states. We called it the development of capital deserts in certain places. We should have fintech charters, as as Congressman Patrick McHenry recommends. We should have innovation offices in every financial agency, and then we should see the proliferation of fintech sandboxes around the country, both at the state and the federal level. With the with the government figuring out how to shoulder the short term liability cost associated with limited testing of of new products. And I, look, I think it's it's time to it's time to let the industry alongside traditional financial institutions price risk and move capital in real time and it's time to harness i think what are the the three forces that are reshaping our civilization today and that's the internet of things big data and machine learning on the way toward artificial intelligence all enabled by blockchain technologies when you take that that magic magic elixir of forces and you put them together harnessing them with financial institutions and small business uh, lenders such as, as our members, you're going to see an unimaginable change in the way that people access financial services. Mm-hmm. If you look at some of the leaders in, uh, in the space, somebody by the name of uh, one of our great members, Bill Phelan of Paynet, one of the leading figures in the space, describes us as on the road to one-click credit. You know, when we start thinking about your accounting system offering you an alert that says, look, in about three months, we're going to have a a cash concern. And so here are three or four different ways that you can find uh, access to capital and credit. Beyond that, one step even beyond that, you look at what Peter Domingos from uh, University of Washington thinks is going to happen, one of the globe-leading thinkers on artificial intelligence. Through his book, The Master Algorithm, he actually thinks that at some point, those your your algorithm is going to know you so well that those decisions as a small business borrower will not even be offered to you. They will simply appear. They will it will price and select the access to capital and credit, and it'll appear in your in your mm-hmm. box. I think that's our, our longer term hopeful future beyond what this what this crisis is, and and hopefully that's something that financial institutions and and syntex can work on together.
0: Well, that would be well. That would be a fantastic, uh, a fantastic future. I hope. That, I hope we get there soon. Anyway, Scott, I, I really appreciate you taking the time today. You've got very important work to do right now, and I, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk to us.
1: Thank you, Peter. Really enjoyed it.
0: Okay. See ya. We can trace the rise of fintech, uh, certainly in the small business lending space to, you know, the, the financial crisis of 08, 09, when banks pulled back from small business lending. They let a lot of their long-term customers down and people were, were ripe for alternatives. And we had entrepreneurs at the time creating new companies, new ways of doing things. And so I, I, I often wonder, this is, this is a more significant crisis, I would argue, than the, than the great recession. And, we are going to have enterprising entrepreneurs all over this country that are going to create new businesses born out of this crisis and you know we also have the entrepreneurial spirit of those companies that are already uh, in existence and uh, there's going to be a lot of New developments like, uh, Scott just talked about there from, from some of the incumbents. You know, once we get through this and it's going to be, it's going to be tough. I'm not, I'm not sugarcoating it. It is going to be tough to get through this. But once we do, we are going to see, I believe a rise of, you know, fintech 3.0 where we're going to have many new companies, many new ideas. And I think the small business lending landscape, in fact, I would argue the entire financial landscape will look remarkably different then. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lended Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. It's happening on our new dates of September 30 and October 1st at the Javits Center in New York. This year, with everything that's been going on, there will be so much to talk about. It will likely be our most important show ever. Come and join us in New York to meet the people who matter, to learn from the experts and get business done. Lendit FinTech, lending and banking connected. Sign up today at lendit.com slash USA.